0: Hello everyone. Throughout the history of life on Earth, species have become extinct. Extinctions happen and always have done. In fact more than 99% of the species that have ever existed have become extinct. A species can be defined as a population capable of interbreeding and producing fertile offspring. Now, this definition, whilst useful, is also kind of blurred because wolves and domestic dogs are different species which can interbreed and produce viable offspring. Similarly, brown bears and polar bears can breed and produce fertile offspring where their ranges overlap. There are a number of human species that have become extinct over time. But modern humans, so Homo sapiens, are the only extant, or living, human species on the planet. Recent human activity has played a significant part in accelerating the extinction of species. However, humans can't be blamed for the dinosaur's downfall, as we were still millions of years away from actually existing. It appears that a massive asteroid strike uh, was responsible for wiping out the dinosaurs. Now, whilst our hunter-gatherer ancestors may have been a factor in the extinction of something, say, like the woolly mammoth, climatic change has also had a considerable effect. Now, it appears that we are coming ever closer to finding techniques that will allow us to bring back species that we had thought disappeared forever. So the question is, which species should be chosen so dinosaurs became extinct around about 65 million years ago so it's unlikely that we will see any kind of jurassic park or jurassic world happening i mean this is because dna degrades after death and the upper limit of you, guess you could say usable dna appears to be around from about 100,000 years ago Numbers of the woolly mammoth started to drop about 20,000 years ago or so, and it became extinct less than about 4,000 years ago. Even woolly mammoth DNA from frozen bones is often of limited quality. It may also be contaminated with the DNA of microorganisms. Woolly mammoths are large, elephant-like giants, uh, certainly newsworthy and appeal to a mass audience. I mean, they've been linked to a reduction in the release of CO2, a greenhouse gas, uh, but also the trampling action of these mammals on frozen ground actually prevents the defrosting of these areas which contains vast stores of carbon. Passenger pigeons. I mean no, it seems a bit of a, a jump going from woolly mammoth to passenger pigeons but here's another example of a species that we could in theory Bring back, passage pigeons were once the most common birds in the US in the 19th century. However, billions of the birds, not millions, but billions of the birds were shot and netted, leading to a rapid extinction. Attempts are underway to resurrect the bird, but there are concerns about its impact on fruiting trees on which the birds would feed. Then there's the dodo, which I'm sure many listeners have heard of. The dodo is an intriguing choice for de-extinction as such. The return of the dodo to its original habitat in Mauritius could lead to, an, I guess you could say, an embarrassing re-extinction for the species. The island of, the, of Mauritius is still riddled with predatory cats and rats, which were accidentally introduced by humans in, we think, around 1638-39. The rats and the cats ate the dodo eggs, ultimately leading to the bird's rapid extinction over, um, I guess, a 25-year period. Then there's the Oroch. The orosh are the wild ancestors of all of our cattle breeds. Large, wild cattle could help to improve the di- uh, guess you could say the natural dynamics of certain ecosystems. Their feces can act as a fertiliser and when they tramp down soil they help to bury and disperse seeds that have passed through their gut. Dutch scientists interestingly are uh, currently trying to reverse the extinction of the oroch. However ecologists argue that cattle are already too numerous. Cattle contribute significantly to global warming since they produced a vast amount of methane methane of course being a greenhouse gas. So I want to, at this point in the podcast, talk about the progress so far in bringing a species back to life. And well, to address this, we need to consider the process of cloning. Cloning of the Pyrenean ibex, for example, the uh, Bucardo, a, a wild mountain goat, was undertaken in 2009. The ibex was hunted to extinction by, of course, humans, as it seems to commonly be the case at the turn of the millennium. Scientists cloned the ibex using DNA preserved from the last member of the species and used a surrogate goat mother in a procedure quite similar to the cloning of Dolly the sheep that you might be aware of from 1999. Unfortunately, due to a lung deformity, that young ibex died just a few minutes after birth. The cloning process would not be suitable for species such as the woolly mammoth since the procedure needs a preserved living cell. Also, cloning is incredibly difficult with bird species. This is because by the time that the egg is laid, the embryo is already, it's already made up of at least, at least 80,000 cells which have begun to what we call differentiate and then eventually those will specialise into cells with particular functions. Let's talk about selective breeding. This is something that I commonly teach to uh, multiple years in school. Selective breeding is ultimately a way to, if you take the parents, let's say, for example, and you breed them together, you are ultimately trying to produce offspring with desired characteristics or traits. But there's no guarantee. Selective breeding is a method to breed organisms together, not just animals, but also in plants in the hope that your offspring that you produce will kind of get the best of both uh, parents. But unlike genetic engineering, there's no guarantee with this. Scientists are aiming to develop a version of the oroch through selective breeding. This ancestor of modern day cattle could be brought back through a backbreeding program. So this program will use existing cattle breeds with characteristics similar to those of the aurochs. For example, cattle with curved, uh, longed horns and dark coat colours. Since modern cattle have descended from the Oroch, much of much rather of the genetic material of this ancient species should still be found in modern day cattle. By breeding over successful generations, scientists should be able should be able to produce offspring, or something I guess you could say that looks like an Oroch while not actually being a true genetic representation of that particular species let's for a minute think about how we actually go about reconstructing genetic material using techniques like CRISPR-Cas9 and uh, there is a podcast on the Project channel all about the biology behind CRISPR and this particular technique uh, which is worth a listen well using techniques like it it may be possible to it sounds a very odd way of saying this but Cut and paste, say, an elephant genome and insert existing mammoth genetic material. CRISPR DNA is found in the genomes of bacteria. The bacteria ultimately use guide RNA as such from this to cut out parts of the virus and to recognise the same virus in future. Scientists are presently working on African elephant genomes. They're editing the elephant DNA in order to produce mammoth-like haemoglobin and cells capable of making thick mammoth-like hair. Both of these features would be essential when releasing the mammoth or a mammoth-like elephant back into a cold, tundra-like environment. The altered elephant-slash-mammoth DNA could then be developed as an embryo in a similar sort of method to cloning than using an elephant as a surrogate mother as such. Now for those listening to this particular podcast you may be uh, very much for these kinds of technologies or very much against. So what I'd like to look at are the reasons for bringing back a species from extinction and the reasons why so many people really think this is almost like science gone too far. So let's Let's give the positive to begin with. Why would anyone want to even do this? Why would anyone want to bring anything back from extinction? Well, say woolly mammoths, still, Woolly mammoths, and in fact the aurochs, could help improve environments. They could act as what we call keystone species, controlling grassland, reducing carbon output, and increasing fertilisation of soil through the recycling of their faecal material. They may also help with seed dispersal and the protection of habitats. Studying the genome of returned species could actually help us to understand how certain traits evolved. So for example things like the flightlessness in the dodo that I mentioned earlier. It could actually help to conserve species recently extinct or on the brink of extinction. It could stimulate further public interest in conservation projects and attract funding for such ventures. And returning species that humans have rendered extinct may help to redress some of the mistakes of our own past. I mean, I particularly—I mean, that's quite a powerful uh, last reason that I gave there. Ultimately, a lot of extinctions, how humans have some hand in it. Uh, so that could be in part a way to kind of correct our mistakes, as I said. But there are many people who are against this. There are lots of negatives associated with all of the kind of technology I've been talking about in this podcast. Again, in the case of woolly mammoths, Elephant eggs may need to be harvested and surrogate elephant mothers will be needed. Now, Elephants themselves are in decline and overuse of eggs or the death of mothers during pregnancy would only serve to increase that problem. Since ecosystems have adapted to the absence of the extinct species, more harm to the biodiversity may be done when that species is returned. I'm always talking about, I mean, I, I teach a number of lessons about food webs and food pyramids and uh, organism interactions. I mean, we talk about the harm to biodiversity, but the, the sheer complexity of food webs that exist in these ecosystems, they are going to be significantly altered when we return another species into the mix. These kind of projects as well are costly, and perhaps the money could be better spent on conserving the species that we actually have still existing. But like I said when I was talking about selective breeding, there's no guarantee. In fact, re-extinction may occur, which would be terrible. We bring these back only to have them to disappear again. And reintroducing animals, particularly if they are short-lived, is just morally wrong. So obviously there's a lot to think about. I'm not advocating one way or another. I'm not saying whether I personally agree or disagree. I'm just laying out the facts that... It's a complex issue, it's a multifaceted issue and there's a lot of things to consider. De-extinction is, I mean we can't argue this, it is an exciting area potentially full of promise. Scientists are using cutting-edge tech to make breakthroughs that, you never know, may one day result in extinct species appearing once more in their natural habitats. But this is going to take time. And conversely, critics of the de-extinction programs will point to the fact that the first resurrected mammoths will be more elephant-like than mammoths or the first aurochs more cattle like than the originals. Scientists are edging closer to their goals though, but it, we're not going to maybe, maybe we will, recreate exactly what it is we're looking for. Although, as a lot of my students say to me when we discuss these kind of issues, it is just really a matter of time until we crack this and until a species really is brought back from extinction. What do you think? If you'd like to share your thoughts or just ask me any questions about this particular podcast, get in touch at Kytosbiology at gmail.com. Uh, and I'd also like to thank our sponsor Curriculum Press for providing content for me to use for this particular podcast. If you head over to curriculum-press.co.uk, you can download some brilliant resources for students and teachers alike. Thanks for listening, everyone.